welcome to the Digitally Connected Podcast with Joel Harder and Drew Knoll. Technology is integrated into every facet of our lives, impacting the way we work, live, and connect with the people in our communities and around the world. In the rapidly evolving digital landscape, the Digitally Connected Podcast explores future trends from leading innovators in tech so you can stay informed and stay connected. Now, here are your hosts, Joel Harder and Drew Null. Well, guys, welcome back to the Digitally Connected Podcast, part two of our review and commentary on the future point of view article that Joel uh, had a chance to write with Scott Koslowski and mm. uh, their group on the challenges around the changing remote workforce. In the first episode, went through three of the first challenges, and yeah. uh, we're going to jump right back into uh, what some of these challenges are addressed and discussed in the article. That's right, Drew. And if you didn't hear that first episode, go check it out. The first three challenges really kind of set the stage for where they're going to go from here. You know, there is a gap that's emerged between people wanting to work more remotely, have more flexibility on remote work and the desire for that. And then leadership's willingness to go with that, to be open to that. There's some good questions they're asking. There's a challenge of distrust and challenge of Hey, there's some people who are just going to abuse any sort of a flexible workforce model. So if you yeah. missed that episode, go back and check those out. But now we're going to get into challenge number four, which is creating desired cultural elements and building teamwork with new and remote workers. And I think this is a big question that leaders have. Uh, yeah. So from the article, leaders are right to be concerned about organizational culture. They want to be receptive to the reasons their employees want flexibility without losing the cohesion and the culture they've worked hard to build. It can be harder for new hires to integrate when they must start team building virtually, creating and promoting the culture you value in a hybrid or fully remote team will take a different approach and new skills from leaders. So Drew, what do you think about this whole idea of organizational culture, establishing it, developing it, and then promoting it, promulgating it now in a distributed workforce where you've got some people in the office, some people not, some people never have actually yeah. touched physically your space. Yeah, I, I think it's awesome. Uh, honestly, it, it provides a interesting way for it's a tool, right? We've talked about this. And I think when you're talking about creating culture in your in your organization and cultural elements that support that, everything is a tool mm -hmm. and remote work is an extraordinarily dynamic tool for that. Mm -hmm. And there is a high level of assessment and discovery that's required on an individual company organization level, because you have to assess what is right for your organization. To your point, it is highly likely for organizations to have folks that they've brought on in the last 12, 18 months that have never darkened the door of the organization for yeah. whatever reason. And that is no doubt been a difficult challenge to organizations in terms of onboarding and developing that culture. 
because so much of that culture is developed in a didactic manner. Mm-hmm. And and we've talked about it before on this podcast about how you can leverage tools and how platforms like this where we're able to see each other is more impactful than just conversation on a phone or a text message. But face-to-face is so much more dynamic. That's been how companies for eons have onboarded and assimilated people into their culture. Your first day at the job, you're sitting in HR's office going through your onboarding training and first day, here's your laptop, here's your badge. We're going to give you an overview. We're going to give you a tour. We're going to walk you through all those things. Well, now you companies have to build those elements in a way that can be delivered in a multitude of medias and mediums. And I think it's exciting. I know some people think it's cumbersome. It's a challenge. It's difficult. And it is a different way of doing things, but it also provides an opportunity to do it in a much more dynamic way than has been done in the past. Yeah. So, I, you know, it absolutely is required. It's, it's critical. It's crucial to develop those elements. But like I said, as long as people, in my opinion, look at this from the standpoint and perspective of all of these things are going to provide us the opportunity to build deeper relationships with the folks that make up our organization. What I mean by that is for this specific challenge, there should be a high level of discovery that's done on an individual basis as much as is possible. And at a minimum, at a, a microcosmic level and what, you know, like breaking it into departments or groups or whatever and finding out what they want. Yeah. And and understanding, and then you take all that information and figure out how you create something that is applicative to the most amount of folks in your organization and be dynamic about it. It's fluid. Yeah. Understanding that, I think if anything, 2020 has taught us that rigidity is not good. You've got to be willing to constantly assess, adapt, change reassess, re, you know, and constantly iterate through that process. Companies or organizations or brands, for that matter, that have embraced that idea of being fluid, constantly refining and evolving and changing, that takes serious work. That's part of the culture development. And that's right. things move very quickly in our information age that we're in. Yeah. I think of Facebook. Facebook... If you really pay attention to it, probably every six or eight months, they tweak it. They tweak the look, the feel, the user interface. It changes. And they've done that consistently for a a long time. Every six, eight months, there's some tweaks. Sometimes it's small. Sometimes it's big. What that's done is it's kind of normalized for the massive global user base of Facebook that when it happens, we don't really think too much about that. I've been involved in some rebranding efforts. I was working at an organization, one of the largest nonprofits in the world, actually, when it went through a massive rebranding effort. And I got a front row seat to that whole process. It was amazing. And so I've helped smaller organizations, companies do rebranding. And I have discovered, follow that Facebook model because that first rebrand, it is rough and you will get pushback and ruffle feathers that you did not expect 
Um, right. But that idea of if you do it really well and get that rebrand in place, get that. Now you can just keep tweaking. And, mm-hmm. and I always encourage folks when we do that, whatever we do today in this rebrand in six months, it needs to get a tweak and start getting right. that pattern going. Um, that's right. Because that's the world we're in now as far as this fluidity. I would yep. say as an encouragement in particular to employees, you can experience some failure in this process. You can get caught in the learning curve of this process. The idea of getting hired and starting a job in a new company and you don't ever have that opportunity to go in person and do that traditional onboarding and team building and understanding the culture, there is going to be people that get burned by that. And they don't fit well. And it's uh, my encouragement is learn from that process, understand kind of why it was that you had conflict and fitting, but don't be defeated by it because the organizations, the employers are also learning in this process as well. So that would be my my first thought to folks that are looking for a job, getting started a new job. Cause there's a lot of hiring going on right now. There's massive yeah. need for employees. And so there's yep. a lot of opportunity, but this is going to be shaky ground a little bit. And so don't get discouraged if you find yourself start a new job and it doesn't work out after a couple of months, because this is, a, this is going to be something that employers have to navigate. Second thing I would really comment on this is, and I, I cannot overstate this. This is at the heart of everything I've researched, everything that I've I've done in terms of exploring this whole concept of tech and how it impacts human connectedness and how it helps groups and organizations and companies and teams to work together. I cannot overstate this case. Navigating the whole concept of a remote work flexibility policy itself is part of how you develop the culture. Right. Don't just think, oh, how am I going to take our culture that we've printed on floor-to-ceiling banners and are in our foyer, Right. and how am I going to take that and now move it into a virtual environment? That's not creating organizational culture in a remote environment. Yeah. The very fact that you are going to do what you said, that individual exploration, what some of the earlier challenges talked about, find out why your people are looking for it. If you're an organization, a company, uh, an employer who is truly learning and understanding what it is that the people that they want to work for them are looking for and valuing and desiring in remote flexibility, remote work flexibility, that in and of itself is how you start to develop the culture of your organization. Yeah. You got to hold in balance, know what the right balance is. But when you look at remote work and the data is clear on this long before COVID, the productivity that goes up, the ability to set your own schedule, the the feeling of self-worth and value and motivation that people express and discover when they become remote workers, those numbers are are well established. But mm. what we also see in a remote work environment is you you start to value and measure the wins of your team members based upon they're getting their job done. 
Right. They're, they're working with excellence. They're they're being innovative, creative. They're finding ways to to really do their job well. And so when they get recognized and get a get a merit bonus or pay raise or some sort of company recognition. It's not just based upon they hit their five year anniversary or or, or, or right, they right. haven't missed more than three days of work in the last two years or whatever, but it's truly yeah. based upon what they're contributing. And so you take that dynamic of remote work and what it's doing for internal productivity, motivation, satisfaction, quality of life that is in your team member, and then you're valuing that. And you're actually establishing it as part of your culture yeah. because you're creating this policy. So that would be kind of my two big bucket thoughts is there's going to be some learning. And so if you find yourself getting burned in that process, don't despair. Keep at it. Keep going because companies are going to get better. But two, organizations need to look at this. This is part of how we build our culture. Yeah, I agree 100%. So uh, real quick, a couple of the thoughts that were shared uh, on how to overcome this challenge. Leverage your approach to remote work as a basis for culture, not a byproduct of 2020. I wonder who wrote that article. <laughs> uh, sorry. Uh, create a culture that acknowledges personal professional preferences of your people rather than ignoring them. Remote work can reduce internal tension when balancing job responsibilities with family obligations. An employee can get the job done and make it to their kid's dance recital. As quality broadband internet access expands across the nation, particularly beyond population centers, personal or family priorities can drive important decisions such as where to live more than the headquarters location. Create a culture where working for your company gives the freedom to choose between urban amenities or small town way of life, to live near aging relatives or in a preferred school district. Then ensure managers have the necessary training to support and lead hybrid or fully remote teams. And I think that this is a, a key a key statement, and it's part of what we've been saying. This person-centered approach for leaders and team members alike values their needs as well as individual and team accomplishments more than logged hours on the clock. Yeah. So challenge five, we'll keep moving. The emerging class system. And this is really interesting. Co-author Scott Klosowski, really brilliant ideas and interesting thoughts based on some observations that he's had with some of his clients. Nearly all projections indicate the post-COVID workforce will be more remote. One year after COVID, one in four Americans remote work full-time. The number of fully remote workers is expected to rise by 87% over pre-pandemic levels. The future of work will be distributed and a new class system is emerging. So here are the three classes named. The resistant. The bottom of the classes are the people who resist or even refuse to come back and demand remote work flexibility. This group may stay employed, but get passed over for promotions or raises. The reluctant. The next class up are those who grudgingly agree to come back due to real or perceived pressure from their employer. They will look for excuses and work from home when they can pull it off. 
This behavior harms culture, compromises trust, and can lower their standing in the organization if they are perceived as not fully loyal. Finally, the rewarded. The top class are those who want to return in person. This group will reap the benefits from the struggles of the other two. Though potentially less qualified, they may be rewarded due to their in-person relationships with leaders who may see them as more committed. An emerging class system is what Scott Klosowski is seeing. I think he is on point with that. There's certainly, whether it's intentional or if it's just a product of where, you know, the transition, if you want to call it a class system, you can, if not, there certainly is going to be a stratification of, of people's willingness in this return to the office remote work balance. Yeah. And how the perception of those people's willingness is going to be, it's going to certainly be something that leaders of organizations are going to have to work to make sure isn't impactful to individual employees. Yeah. It's, it's something that is going to have to be not leveraged, but it's something that's going to have to be assessed in terms of individual bias uh, by leaders and and how their employees are perceived. I think it'll be most challenging uh, when you have groups, uh, you know, of employees, uh, like in the same department or the same work cell or whatever terminology you use, that you have a stratification even in that same group. And how do those leaders manage those groups? All this goes back to what we were talking about before, the culture in, in the group, in, in the company. I suspect that how these classes or stratifications play out in an organization is going to be heavily correlated to the culture mm-hmm. that's established and cultivated and supported within that organization. If there's a a culture of heavy acceptance of remote work and flexibility and all those things, I don't think these classes or stratifications take as much of a hold yeah. because the the culture within the organization is very supportive of what works best for the individuals and the the organization as a whole. I believe that where you have cultures that are more pejoratively aligned toward remote work, you absolutely are going to see these these classes emerge. Organizations are going to have to deal with how that's impactful to their organization and and the the interpersonal operations of their uh, of their groups. It's something that's absolutely going to have to be addressed. Yeah. Well, you just got to pay attention to it. That's right. It, it, this is this is something that it reminds me of our conversation a few a few episodes back on algorithmic bias. We have got to not be blind to the development of a potential stratification or class. Yeah, um, that's right. You know, delineations within your team. The interesting thing about this was when you look at that top level class, the rewarded, you know, these are the folks that don't really care about working remotely anyway. Um, right. They, they want to get in the office, but it's that proximity to the leader. I, I think that this is really going to be a challenge that is probably one of the best examples of give and take on both sides. There is that article that we, we cited 30% of workers say they'll quit if they're not given the opportunity Right. This is a great example of why you can't simply take that mindset or attitude. You got to be willing to recognize because leaders 
need to be paying attention to the whole team. That's right. And if you remember how the article is titled, you know, in a new work environment, you've got a work environment that includes people that are physically there and are not. You've got to recognize and pay attention to the whole, the whole team and leaders can naturally default to the proximity, the people that they see, uh, the people that are around them become the go-tos. Hey, man, I've been around politics for a while. I cannot tell you how many people I know that are chiefs of staff in House offices or Senate offices that started out as the driver for the right. legislator. You know, so sure. it's that that idea of putting in that face time with the leader that is real. And so yeah. leaders are going to have to be paying attention to the whole team, the whole work environment, because yep. um, because there's a natural default. Same time, if you start to see that, hey, I might be getting passed over for some merit bonuses or promotions mm -hmm. because I insist on being remote, that may be fine. You, it may be okay with what you're, uh, you know, okay with in your stage of life and your level of income and your needs and your responsibilities and why you need the flexibility. But if it's not, then you may have to make some compromise. So it's just, uh, this is an interesting challenge because it just basically, I think, says pay attention. Uh, and again, I think to your point, there are those groups that fully embrace it and time will continue to normalize it too. So this may be, and this is me talking, it may be a bit of a temporary challenge that kind of gets balanced out on the whole over time. But definitely yeah. right now, pay attention to it. Yeah, 100%. You've been listening to the Digitally Connected Podcast with Joel Harder and Drew Noll. Make sure to check us out wherever you catch all your podcasts and subscribe so you don't miss any of our new content we'll be dropping regularly. If you enjoyed the content today, please give us that five-star review. Thanks so much, and we'll catch you next time.